Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us online today with New Hope Presbyterian Church. My name is Pastor Samuel. I'm the associate pastor here at New Hope. I uh, just want to welcome everybody and one say we're very excited for those of you that are tuning in online. Um, if you're not aware right now, we are meeting both in person at 10 a.m. and online at 10 a.m. at the exact same time. Uh, so probably the pastors are present at the physical service and also in the chat with you as well. If you are live with us, uh, if you would say say something in the chat right now. I know some people watch this later in their week is more convenient, but it's just very special to me. Uh, and for us as a community that we still keep that pattern of Sabbath celebrating and getting together on Sunday morning. So if you are here uh, this morning, please say something in the chat. Please say hello to the other uh, digital members of our church who have gathered this morning to hear God's word and to sing his praises. Uh, today, I just want to make a couple of announcements as you're saying hello to one another. The number one thing is, is just a reminder that this afternoon will be our annual congregational meeting. And we have special provision, obviously, during COVID that we are able to do that via Zoom rather than in person. And the reasoning behind that is we want everyone to participate. We want everyone who is a part of our community to be able to be here for our congregational meeting, this annual time where we look at who are the next elders, who are the next deacons, who are the, the, the next nominating committee and audit committee, these people that are going to be kind of shaping the direction of our church for the next few years, uh, that we should all have a voice and be a part of that. So you should have gotten at some point uh, yesterday, probably a email that that kind of explained Here's the link for the Zoom meeting. It's a Zoom meeting. Um, you need to click on that to get to the Zoom meeting and then um, you'll be let in and you'll be able to participate. The, um, there will not be like a lot of talking and things like that. Mainly uh, Pastor Tommy uh, and the other presenters will be doing the talking. And then there'll be a digital poll uh, that will come through the Zoom, which will be how you participate. Also in that email, you should see a link to the slides that we'll be sharing, some of the basic information we'll be sharing, and also some of the testimonies of the incoming elders and deacons if you're interested in reading more about that as well. As always, if you have any questions at all, Please email me, Samuel at newhopekent.org. I'm going to be running tech support for that meeting. So if during the meeting something's not working or leading up to the meeting you're having trouble, or even you want to ask a question or participate somehow and you're having trouble with your computer, just text me at uh, 407-616-9064. I hesitated to say that on the internet, but I'm going to say it. And then the, um, the other thing I wanted to remind you of is that if you want... If you have multiple members in your household, let's say husband and wife, and you're both full members of, Trin of New Hope Presbyterian Church, then the way in which you guys can have two votes is by having two devices. So the way that works is you, one of you needs to have a cell phone, one of you a computer. Zoom works on almost every type of cell phone and every type of computer. Uh, so if that's how you want to have two votes, that's how, sorry for all the announcements, but that's how that's going to work. Uh, then the other thing is, is please let us pray for you. I've been so encouraged lately. There's been a resurgence of prayer in our church, mainly, but partly because we've been in person, but um, also just in the new year, digitally, we've been receiving a lot more prayer requests. Let us pray for you. 
Uh, you can go to our website, newhopekent.org slash prayer and submit a prayer request. And that pretty soon will get shared with our prayer chain, the people that are part of our congregation who want to be praying for you. And we pray every week as a staff together and as pastors as well. And you can always limit that as well if you want to just limit it to a, to a certain group. Maybe you want just the pastors to know about that. So please let us pray for us. Uh, pray for you. Now, as we continue our sermon series, we're going to dive right into it. Today, we are looking at Matthew chapter 6. Um, and we are looking at verses, let's see here, uh, about not being anxious, right? Verses 25 through 34 is the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Again, Matthew 6, 25 through 24. But as we go into this time, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise. What a beautiful morning, what a beautiful day. New mercies as the sun rises. A new day in which you as our heavenly Father are with us every step of the way. We pray that as we listen to your word that we would find comfort, that we would find strength, that we would find renewed hope in resting in your promises that you are our Father and that we are your children. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. I don't know if during the pandemic any of you have had a chance to um, maybe do activities that you, you normally wouldn't. Uh, like maybe you've been watching a lot more Netflix than usual uh, or Hulu or whatever, uh, Disney Plus, uh, The Mandalorian, whatever it is. Maybe you've been doing more of that at home with us and the kids. We've been doing a lot more crafts and activities. Thank you, Miss Debbie, children's director and uh, Miss Tita and other people that have that have dropped off some things. Uh, for our kids to have activities and fun things for them to do. The other day, my, my parents sent um, a king cake. If you're not from the South or New Orleans, you don't know what that is. But we got a king cake and we took our time. Like we read the instructions and the history of the king cake. Maybe one of the things you've been doing is playing board games. Board games is always something that's fun to do as a family and can fill some of the time. Uh, when I was growing up, one of the games that we would play a lot was Monopoly. And if you've ever played Monopoly, you know how a Monopoly game goes, right? One, you gather your loved ones, your precious loved ones who you are family with, who you care deeply about, who nothing could ever come between you and them, and you gather around. And the game begins in this loving environment, right? Was Why are you playing the game to start with? It's because you love each other and you want something to do. You're going to have fun, right? We all know that that's not where Monopoly ends, but we begin that way. Uh, everyone picks out their little their little uh, characters. Uh, I was always a big big fan of the little dog was was mine. You get some drinks, you get comfortable, you get everything ready. You buy your first property. The game starts out really optimistically. You're like, oh wow, wow, isn't that great? He just bought a railroad. That's so much fun. Uh, maybe he'll get more railroads. And then as the family begins to work their way around the board. It becomes clear as time goes on that there is a strategy in place, that there is building tension in the air. You begin to keep a closer eye as your money depletes on the banker and whether or not they are being honest in their dealings. You always have to pick an honest banker. You begin to notice some side talk between some of your family members as some under-the-board deals begin to be made up. Hotels go up with no regard for health and safety regulations, and Monopoly is gone. This is now war. 
Eventually, there's an uprising. The game ends in tears as somebody flips the board. Now, they don't always end like that. But a lot of times, it does come close to that scenario. In fact, I have a friend, a couple friend that we knew in Florida that they are literally not allowed. It's in their marriage covenant to play risk together because it just every time ends in ruin and disaster. What is it? About us, humans, because this happens to everybody. What is it about us and our nature that changes when we play games? When specifically we put into a context, a reality, a box uh, with rules and goals and um, um, a competition to see who can get the most, who can win. Our vision narrows And we forget the larger context. There are family and friends and that that was the original purpose for why we did it in the first place. And the truth is is that we do this spiritually as well. We focus in so much on ourselves, on our families, our church or our community or our nation. And we forget. We forget that we are citizens of another reality called to have a grander vision of living that extends beyond this immediate reality that we are participating in and instead view it as citizens of heaven. If I handed out monopoly money to everybody, if let's say right now at your door, knock, 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 open the door and woo, I'm just going to drop 20K of Monopoly money on you. And then I said, Tanner, take this $20,000 of Monopoly money and take it and give it away as you feel led to anybody. And if you do, that'll make them happy. How hard would it be for you to give away that Monopoly money? Not very hard, right? Super easy to give away Monopoly money, right? It's Monopoly money. It only has value in the context of the Monopoly game or the scenario that I've set up for you, right? Now, reach in your wallets, and I know many of us don't carry money anymore, but look at your money, look at, maybe look at your credit card, your Venmo account, your PayPal. This digital currency, that physical dollar bill, only has value in the context that we create for it. In other words, when this life is over, when your physical life is done, it is worthless. The same way monopoly money is not real, and yet it is is the focus of everyone playing the game. The same thing is true for for many of us. That When we focus and we are completely focused on this physical reality that is in front of us, whether that's money or physical belongings or food or clothing or whatever it is, that we think that this is the end all be all, that this is all there is, is an illusion in a lot of ways, right? It is not something that is ultimate or should be ultimate for us. And yet it becomes the focus for everyone in this game of life. It becomes the focus and a supreme value is placed on it. In fact, such a supreme value is placed on money and material belongings 
and the goal is to accumulate and get as much of it as you can, that Jesus, right before our passage for today, talks about it in terms of uh, mammon, which was a, the god of money. And this is what he says in Matthew six twenty four, right before our passage. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus very specifically says, setting up the passage, our passage for today, that most of us are entrapped. The word he uses, enslaved to this thing called mammon, this thing called money, this thing that if you have a broader view of reality is really a passing thing that goes with the wind. Like monopoly money. Jesus says there is so much more. There is so much more than the physical provisions of this life. I was, I admit this freely, I was watching TikTok the other day and I was flipping through um, the videos. Um, for me, mainly, it's, it's end up being like a bunch of dads dad jokes. But anyway, the pictures that I ended up on, there was a young man and he, I think he had just graduated college or something like that. And he had, had gotten a job and he said, and his TikTok, I, I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. It was basically like, so I got a job. I, I, I went to school. I got a good job. I'm making money. And now I'm going to get a family and have kids and then die. Is that it? Is that all there is to this life. In other words, his mammon, his material provision is being able to provide for myself and my family um, and having savings is money. Is that all there? Is it over? Is that it? And if you read through the comments, a lot of people were like, yeah, welcome to the rat race. That's all there is. But Jesus says there is more. There is more to Life. Our passage, and again, this is Matthew 6, 25 through 34, says, if life is more, if there is a deeper reality to, to, to this world that we live in, if it's more than just the monopoly game, if it's more than just the physical reality, if there is a deeper level of reality, if there is a spiritual nature, if there is truly um, a God in heaven, if there is more... If there is more than food, if there is more than drink, if there is more than entertainment, if there is more than family, if there is more than money and material provision, more than the game of life. If life is more than this material world, then a life dominated by worry and anxiety about those things is completely missing out on the more. And so that's what we look at today is the worry and anxiety that we will have if we are missing out on the more that we find in Jesus and our heavenly father. So, again, our passage for today is Matthew chapter six, verses twenty five through thirty four. I encourage you, open your Bibles, hear God's word as he speaks to us today through Jesus himself. Again, this is Matthew chapter six. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more? Is not life more than food 
and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the non-believers, seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. And we say thanks be to God for his word. So there's a couple of there's a number of things going on here. We're going to look at briefly today. The first is, is that there are clearly two examples that Jesus is using to draw out what it is, the, which is the main point. And the main point, which we're going to look at, is how do we rest in the more? How do if there is more than this physical life, than what we see that is so hard to to look beyond or to look through or to see more. How do we have more when mammon, when money, when materialism is so present and so real in every complete aspect of our life? So first, two examples. And the two examples are taken, as Jesus always does, uh, from regular everyday things. And these two examples are taken from creation. And there's a number of ties to creation here. But the two examples are focused completely on the physicality of life. And so when we're talking about life here, these two examples are drawing out food and clothing. And that might be something, depending on who you are, that you've never really worried about. But in the ancient Near East, in the time of Jesus, food and having regular access to food was something that caused a great amount of worry. Clothing, and um, I don't know that you've ever been to certain areas where people uh, don't have shoes or don't have clothes um, on a regular basis. That is another necessity of life that in the ancient Near East, people struggled with getting. And in fact, today, of course, with COVID and the shutdowns and everything else, more than ever are we finding families and people, adults, older, elderly, children who are food insecure and who don't have regular access to things like shoes. And so these examples are examples that the people of the ancient Near East would be very familiar with. And Jesus says these physical things, there is something more beyond them. And so the two examples he uses um, are is food and clothing. And the first one is with food and birds. And this is what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. And those are terms that are agricultural terms, right? So birds are not um, hooching up oxen. Uh, and if you've ever worked a farm, working a farm is incredibly difficult. And it takes many, many hours and a lot of uh, planning and work from, from sun up to sundown. But the uh, birds don't do that, right? Birds don't go through all the effort of hitching up your oxen, uh, sowing and reaping and bringing in the harvest and separating the wheat and the chaff. And obviously I'm a huge farmer. I know exactly what I'm talking about. But the birds don't do all of that. As an aside, birds do do things, right? 
Please don't take away the, the takeaway from all of this is never worry about anything and just rely that somehow you will be fed and taken care of. That is, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because birds, if you ever watch them, actually are doing a lot. They are hunting, they are searching, they are, don't engage in agricultural processes, but they aren't idle. At the same time, birds aren't going through all the hoops and expectations and everything else on a human level, right? Um, they are at least from what we can tell, not stressing and panicking about whether tomorrow morning when they wake up, they will be able to find a worm or not. The way that the natural order has been set up by God through ecosystems and uh, web food webs is that the birds are going to have food that is readily accessible to them. And the argument here that Jesus makes that he does often is from lesser to greater. And it is that if you look at a bird and you look at a human, how much more does your father in heaven, if he is your heavenly father, we'll get to how he is in a minute. If he is your heavenly father and he can provide for birds, non-thinking for the most part, flipping around, eating some worms, birds, how much more will he provide for you? And kind of baked into the cake is this concept or this worldview, which is common for us as believers, but not necessarily out there in the world, uh, which is that humans are more important than animals. Humans are supposed to be stewards of creation. We're supposed to take care of it. But at the end of the day, humanity has a different layer to it than animals do. We have a different dimension to us because we are created in the image of God. We have a um, higher place in God's eyes as his children. Animals are just trying to survive and reproduce, right? And when humans behave like animals, that is when we enter into these states of anxiety, when we are saying all that there is in this world is to survive and reproduce. When we start treating other humans like they are part of a herd or a population uh, of geese that must be controlled or protected or whatever. That's when we have entered into a new realm and have lost sight of the fact that there is more to this life than just a physical reality. And in fact, all humanity recognizes this. I mean, there's been some mess ups here and there of philosophy of humans saying, yeah, we should, we should be just pure Darwinists and, 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 and go for um, treating each other just like animals do. But for, I would say like 99.9%, everybody in humanity knows that humanity is different than, than animals, right? It's in fact where that word inhumane comes from. I don't know if you've heard, you've heard that word, of course, inhumane. Um, and it, we use that word whenever humans are doing something that is not, that is not more. <laughs> uh, I think of, for example, um, when you watch, um, I don't know if you ever watch discovery shows or nature videos or anything like that, but, um, when you watch, I mean, if you've ever watched, um, what are the killer whales, killer whales do this weird thing where they play with their food before they eat it. And there's videos of them um, tipping the ice, like of a seal being on an iceberg. I'll see if I can find a picture of an iceberg. And one whale will kick it this way. So he's almost falls in the water. And then they save him and then they, they play with their food back and forth. At the end of the day, do we call those killer whales inhumane? No, they're animals. 
Those killer whales are, at the end of the day, yeah, that seems inhumane what they're doing, but it's only inhumane because we have a concept that is beyond what is animalistic and materialistic. In other words, everyone recognized just by the word inhumane existing, that humans are much more than animals, that we expect more out of ourselves than we do from the regular animals. And what Jesus is saying is that you are more than just animals. You are so cared for. If you're heavenly father, and note that it says, it doesn't say the bird's heavenly father. It says your heavenly father. That your heavenly father in heaven, you humans, your dad, a real person that you have a relationship with, if he cares for these animals, these animals that are inhumane in the way in which they treat one another and the way in which they go through their life just trying to provide for themselves, just trying to eat and just trying to live and just trying to survive. If you're God in heaven, your father cares for them. How much more does he care for you? You who has this spiritual dimension, you who has been created in the image of your father in heaven. And which of you, by being anxious, by behaving animalistically or materialistically, which of you, if you just decide, I'm going to be like a bird and I'm just going to focus or a killer whale, whichever one like is your mantra animal. I'm going to focus completely and totally on survival, getting as much things that I can get. Will that add more to your life? It won't even add time to your life. In fact, the more you have anxiety about those things, surviving and making it and physical provision, the shorter your life will be. And much less will you have the deeper, more true reality life that Jesus is talking about. Psalm 39.5 says this, Behold, talking about humans, you have made my days a few hand breaths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Our lifetimes are as nothing before God. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. Our lifespans no less than our food or our clothing are, is a gift from God outside of our control. And despite our own efforts, our best efforts, death is the end. It is inescapable and we are unable to defeat it on our own as mere animals as part of creation. Example number two, why are you anxious about clothing? And he takes it a step further here in example number two. Um, and talks instead about flowers. And if you look at um, birds, at least are active, right? At least for the human eye, they're animals. They have breath. They're moving around. They're doing things. Jesus takes a step further and uses an example from creation flowers, which are completely and totally passive. And he says that these flowers are, um, they're magnificent is beyond the best that even human, uh, human art and splendor can achieve. And he uses an example of Solomon. And if, if you remember, Solomon, of course, is the, the pinnacle in the Old Testament of the kingdom of Israel. He is the wealthiest of wealthy. He is the wisest of wise. He is, or, he, is, he is the one that builds the temple with all of its ornateness and beauty and gold. And he is dressed himself in these amazing garbs. And yet if you look at a flower... And you spend time and recognize the intricacies of a flower and the beauty of a flower. You realize that God has created that. It is 
a billion trillion times more complex and beautiful than um, anything that we have been able to achieve. I was a, a pre-med major and one of the classes I got to take was bot, I got, I got to take, okay? I say that with a little tongue in cheek, was botany. And botany, we spent probably 10 hours a week with a microscope looking at plants so that we would, God knows why I needed this, we would, if we were given a slide of a, of a plant, we would be able to look through the microscope and say, oh, I know exactly what class and species of plant this is. But one of the things that I grew an appreciation of is the complexity and beauty of life. That, um, that these things that God has created are actually more complex than any technology that humans have come close to creating. That they are the things that, that take pure energy in a voidless universe and convert it into life itself, which then feeds the rest of our ecosystem. Sorry, getting science teachery on you, but um, creation is beautiful, amazing, and awe-inspiring. And if you look at all of Think about how much effort it would take for us to create something like a flower. We can't. We can't come anywhere close to it. God creates a flower which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Our physical lives, how much more does God care about us? And while, yes, our physical lives are transitory, we too will reach a place of death. You are eternal. There is more to you and your heavenly father knows this. He knows that you are more than a bird. You are more than a flower. So summarizing those two examples, food and clothing are not an end in themselves. Those things in this life are meant to be provision for the life or body for which they provide. And if we live a life that does not give priority to the more of us, to the spiritual dimension, to a different reality that we as humans are a part of, then we have fallen prey to materialism and we are instead living a life in slavery, enslaved to mammon, to money, to materialism. We should not be behaving as though possessions are the end all be all of life. So part two, how do we have more? How do we get this more that Jesus is talking about? If behaving like an animal and materialistically and having a worldview that all there is is this life, this monopoly game of life is going to lead to anxiety and actually a shortening of our life. How do we access this deeper layer? How do we access this reality where our the God who created the universe is our heavenly father. How do we get into that when this seems so real and so present to us in our daily lives? And I don't want to minimize that, that, that for those of us who are struggling and me and my family have been there before, not knowing where your next paycheck's going to be, where your next food, your meal is going to be. If that is the where you are, are right now, one, a couple of things, we are here for you. We want to help you, uh, especially members of our church. You're gonna, we would work with our deacons. We will help you right now. Email me, call me. Um, and if you're outside of our community, we want to connect you with our various mission partners that we work with on a regular basis if that's what you're struggling with. I don't want to minimize those things. 
But there is more. And so if, if that is what we are confronted with, how do we do that? Jesus tells us what's going on when these things are dominating us. When your life is completely and totally dominated by survival and getting more, getting those things that you think you need that are just physical provision. Um, Jesus says that that is when we are those of little faith. He uses that phrase, doesn't he? Oh, you of little faith. In other words, when you're behaving in these ways, these animalistic, materialistic ways, and you don't believe that your heavenly father is going to care for you like he does for the birds and the, uh, I almost said bees, the birds and the, uh, the flowers, when you don't believe that he's, he's taking care of those, then you are one of little faith. What does that mean to be one of little faith? Well, one of little faith is basically someone who is afraid and instead of trusting God, um, to provide for their survival or need, they are on a regular basis fearful that he will not be there for them. Because really that's what that word faith means, right? It means putting your trust in someone, some real person. And there are a lot of us, and some of us go through different seasons, that intellectually understand the gospel. And this is especially true for Presbyterians. We like to be intellectual. That's my intellectual look. We like to be intellectual. And, and no, I have theologically down um, <laughs> the ordos salutis, the order of salvation. I know the gospel theologically speaking. But in our day-to-day lives, we put little to no trust and faith in God. And one of the signs of that is if we are living a life of anxiety about our material belongings. Jesus uses this phrase in a number of places. In Matthew 8, 23, Jesus is calming the storm. And it says this, he got in the boat, his disciples followed him, and there was a great storm on the sea. He was asleep, and they went down and woke him up and said, save us. And he said, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? Why are are you afraid? You are literally with me, Jesus. Yes, there is a storm going on. Yes, it could take your physical life But you are with me. Have faith. Trust me. I'm sleeping down here in the bottom of the boat. Do you think something bad is going to happen? Trust me, is what Jesus says. Matthew 14, 31. Jesus, uh, Peter walking on the water, begins to doubt and sinking in the water. And Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? After feeding the 4,000, Matthew 16, Jesus hears his disciples talking about where are we going to get all this food for everybody? Oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves that you have no bread? Trust me. It's like, it's almost like that's the whole point. It's almost like over and over and over again, God says in the Old Testament and Jesus says here in the New Testament, trust me. And if you, if you, if you can't be settled in that, if you can't trust me, then you basically are of little faith. You basically have no faith at all. Matthew 17, 19 through 20, the disciples came to Jesus privately and he's taught, they're talking about why they couldn't cast out these demons. And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and it will be moved and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus is basically saying, um, not only do you have little, little faith, you don't even have a, all you would need is a mustard grain of faith. All you need is to trust in me a little bit and, and, and you will be provided for and you will be taken care of and you will find comfort instead of anxiety. 
Ultimately, there is so much more to our lives. And the way to access that more, the peace, the comfort, the stability that comes from faith in our Heavenly Father and a relationship deeply abiding within Him is that we have to believe, not intellectually, we have to trust that God the author and sustainer of this lavishly beautiful universe can be trusted to meet our essential needs. It is one thing to say intellectually, but the distance between your mind and your heart, that distance is um, immeasurable for many of us. Disciples of Jesus are to have a different orientation a higher purpose in life. Don't miss what Jesus says here at the end when he talks about troubles, right? Each day will have its own troubles. The promise isn't that believe in me and your heavenly father and there will be no more trouble. No, the promise is is there will be trouble every day. Every day we will encounter to lesser and greater extents challenges, temptations, and troubles. But by the grace of God, by the presence of our heavenly father, by saying, dad, I trust you and I know that you're with me. They can be survived. At least in theory, God's people are characterized by faith and should have thus a calm confidence in their Heavenly Father, while the Gentiles or those without that are characterized by worry. What's interesting is if we take this attitude, if we take, if we do put our faith, if we are no longer those of little faith, but we put some faith in God and trust in him, if we put our ultimate faith in him, then it removes us from this preoccupation and this enslavery to mammon. It moves us from this preoccupation with worldly success. And so if we are really wealthy and comfortable, then we can use then our monopoly money to help relieve pain and misery for others. And if we are poor and uncomfortable, then we can take comfort knowing that we are not losing the game of life, but that foundationally and ultimately the more our real lives are safely in our Father's hands. Jesus says to have more of this real life, we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, instead of seeking out this myopic physical world in front of us and the material belongings that like animals that we need to survive and to uh, accumulate. If instead we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we will have all of those, we have all of our needs taken for, taken care of for us. All this more, all of this deeper reality, all of this comfort, all of this God's presence comes from our heavenly father. And to trust him and to be in relationship with him as our father in heaven means we have to have a right standing before him. Our relationship must be right. It must not be broken. We must have righteousness, rightness to be in this deeper reality relationship that we've been talking about. And this is the gospel, right? This is the good news. That right standing or right relationship with our Heavenly Father comes not from our own efforts of of seeking survival, uh, clothes and food like animals, of seeking God's approval through doing things we think are right, but it, it comes from His righteousness, from seeking His rightness. In the rightness of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, 
lived a perfect life, was, has a right relationship with God as God's one and only true son. And because of what he's done, he says, you can be in right relationship with him also. Join me. And here's what you need to do. Trust me. When I say you can have a right relationship through what I've done, trust me. When I say that I will provide for you and be there, trust me. When your God in heaven says that he's going to provide for your needs and ultimately even for your life beyond this life, trust him. Have faith. When we face our, the problems that will come, and they come daily, we can do so with anxiety that this life is all there is. Or we can face our problems with our heavenly father and sons as sons and daughters of the God of the universe. Friends, you are so much more important than birds and flowers, which frankly are immaculate and God designed. But there is so much more to this life. Put your trust in what Jesus has done for you. And that as a son or daughter of God, your heavenly father has you in your hands, in his hands, so that you can face whatever troubles this day or the next may bring. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Our father in heaven, we ask that you give us faith. Help us to trust in you. More and more, remind us if we have lost our way. And if we have never put our trust in you, we ask that you would act in the power of the Holy Spirit now, that we might call out to you and put our trust in you and thus rely on you as our Heavenly Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, at this point in the service is where we call for uh, the offering. If you are a member of our church or if you're interested in supporting us, um, as we proclaim the gospel here uh, and through the world, uh, you can you can give online. NewHopeKent.org/giving is the website address. Uh, you can also mail. And in fact, actually, if you go to that website, it'll give you a bunch of different ways, uh, all sorts of ways that you can give. Uh, and just thank you so much for your continued support of our ministry and mission here at New Hope. Now, as we end, um, I just want to read from the uh, Storybook Bible, but. This, this text that we, I ended up preaching on is actually one I gave a devotion on, and I didn't use the exact same devotion. But one of the stories, excuse me, I told in that devotion was about how when COVID first started, it was a while back, when COVID first started, my son Ezra uh, could overhear my wife and I talking about, wow, I don't know what's going to happen to the economy and the politics and everything's up in the air and who knows what's going to happen. And, and he began to have a lot of anxiety because he was listening to mom and dad talk about those things. And it made us realize um, that we needed to talk to him. And so I sat down and I spoke with him and I said, Ezra, you don't, you're seven years old. You don't need to worry about what's gonna happen with the government, what's gonna happen with COVID, what's gonna happen with uh, the US economic outlook. You don't have to worry about any of those things. Cause you know why? You have a dad and a mom we've got this. And friends, that is the basic message of what Jesus is telling us today, is that you and I, we don't have to carry all this stuff on our shoulders. We are not the ones that will determine the length of our lifespans or that will determine the, the, uh, the ultimate fate 
of the world. That our heavenly, that that is not on your shoulder, Samuel, alone today. But that you have a father in heaven, a creator of the universe that you can trust in. And that if he's got the birds and the bees and the uh, flowers in his hands, can't he hold you as well? Um, and the last thing I want to say is uh, just a quick remind, just a quick thing. If, if you are suffering from anxiety, if you are having overwhelming anxiety, yes, run to Jesus. Run to your Father in heaven. Learn to put trust in him. But do that in community as well. Especially if it's overwhelming you, talk to someone. I really encourage you, whether it's a, one of the pastors, your deacon, uh, maybe someone in your, your life group, someone um, at your home. Maybe it's a professional counselor. If you need any help at all, if you're struggling with that sort of thing, again, please don't hesitate to let me know. Okay, that's it. Storybook Bible ends like this. And this chapter is called The Singer. I really feel like they kind of forced that, but here's what it says. Jesus knew that God would always love and watch over the world he had made. Everything in it, birds, flowers, trees, animals, everything. And most of all, his children. Even though people had forgotten, the birds and the flowers hadn't forgotten, they still knew their song. It was the song all of God's creation had sung to him from the very beginning. It was the song people's hearts were made to sing. God made us. He loves us. He is very pleased with us. Amen and amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week at 10 a.m. Again, if you're a member, don't forget, 3 o'clock this afternoon, we'll have, I'll see you all live on Zoom for our congregational meeting. God bless and have a wonderful day. May the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be on us all, in li- virtually and live, wherever you are, as we go forward from here. Amen and amen. Thank you.